Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Volrath Feed. I'm Rich Rupp, your podcast host, product trainer, and chef here at the Volrath Company, and always in tandem to bring you this show with my co-host and digital media specialist, our producer, Justin Pearson. Hey, hey, Justin. Hey, hey, Rich. What's <laughs> up, my friend? Another good day at the show. Yeah, that's right. We have a great guest on, and so we're looking forward to it as always. As always, and then this is going to be a, a little bit more of a unique conversation with the chef. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Maybe it'll be ex- you know, just like all the others, but right. I, I feel like we have to maybe hold him to a higher standard. <laughs> well, you know, we're going to, yes, absolutely. We're going to get into it with him. Um, but I, at the beginning of the show, I wanted to make sure I mentioned to any of our listeners that don't maybe always hang in till the end or if any of our new listeners, uh, at the end, we do something a little different, I think, on our show is we have Nate. Uh, Nate does his recap and Nate's just one of those people that can listen to a conversation and pull out the main themes and topics. If people are listening to the podcast and they're doing other things, right? You're multitasking, you're working out, you're driving, you're on a run or whatever it is. Sticking around for Nate's recap is probably a good way to make sure you're not missing out on any of the major thoughts and themes from our guests. And if you hear something in Nate's recap and you're like, wow, I got to go back and listen because that's a cool thing, right? Right. I want to make sure that people hang in there for the recap and just how valuable that can be to make sure you're getting everything you can out of our podcast. I find it to be my own personal cliff notes for mm-hmm. the episode. You yep. know, I can go back and uh, this is this is really the, the take home messages from from this episode. And and like you said, you can be listening for you know half hour, hour, whatever, and you get through the end and you're like, what did I just listen to? Cause like you said, you might be occupying yeah. yourself with something else. And, and then just to catch that little recap helps it sink in and, and then reminds you what, what was important from this show. And Nate, I'm sorry if we're setting you up there to be the expert, but uh, you are, you do such a good job at it. And it's maybe a nice little segue to getting into our guest that we were going to talk about here a little bit ahead of time, Justin. Today on the show, we have a certified master chef, Joseph Lenardi who is currently the director of operations for the country club in Brookline, Massachusetts. And I know that people say the country club, well, which one? No, it's called the country club. It's kind of confusing, I guess, but (laughs) something he's talked about, I think in a couple of interviews I watched, but being the fact that he's a certified master chef, we talk about expectations of, you know, Nate's recap here. We just set him up to be the pro. Our guest today is, is set up that way with anything culinary, being a master chef, of one of only 72 in the country, that's that's got to carry some weight and some pressure on them, I would think, right? I, I would hope so. <laughs> well, I mean, the un, unwanted pressure maybe some yeah, Well, days. yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's this next level standard that whether you want it or not, you're going to be held to. Mm-hmm. And there, there's this expectation that you are there because you're better than everyone else or, or a vast majority of everyone else. So there's something that sets you apart. And, um, it's gotta be a lot to manage, but I'm sure it just becomes part of your, part of your day, part of your routine. And I'm sure nobody else holds Joseph to a higher standard than himself. So we are usually our own worst critics. True. He's, he's probably doesn't have to worry about it that much because his own standards are going to be exceptionally high. But but I'm, I'm thinking I have a small taste of maybe what goes on with him some days is that, and I, I go to dinner with friends and there's a menu item they're not familiar with. They'll ask me, and it's expected that you're supposed to know that menu item. Like you're rich, you know what's going on here. You should know this. Come on. (laughs) And I'm guessing that with, again, the title of certified master chef, he's going to know a ton of it. But there's going to be that one percent you just don't know, right? I mean, I would think. Well, it'd be interesting to find out from him how how that plays out. Well, yeah, yeah, and I I think being considered a master in any trade or profession, it isn't about being an encyclopedia. It's not about having all the answers, but maybe more about knowing how to get all the answers. Yeah. Or playing a sports a sports analogy. If you're the GOAT, uh, <laughs> call it Rogers. We're from Wisconsin. I'll use Rogers. Uh, he still misses a pass. He still has a bad game, right? So to hold anybody right. to a too high of a standard, I suppose, is unrealistic. Yeah, it's not perfection, and particularly in something as subjective as food. Mm-hmm. There's going to be not a right answer for for some questions, or multiple <laughs> multiple correct answers. It's I'm just thinking of these little regional areas, right? Like, so let's say he travels into some 
regional area. And like we've talked about the fruitcake episode, right? Where <laughs> I think it's great. And everybody who's eaten it for the last 40 years probably thinks it's fantastic. And then you get our expert Gail Gand on, who's <laughs> like, it's this, it's this, it's this. And it's an God, she's right. <laughs> well, when we analyzed it afterwards, we're like, dang, she is right. But yet she is right, yeah. I loved it. I, I almost was like, well, I still like it. <laughs> it's just, uh, if he goes into these small areas that have their regional favorites and he's like, well, guys, this isn't really how the Germans would make it or how the Dutch or the Finnish or whoever it is. Oh, exactly. I mean, just look at barbecue, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. you can, wars have been fought over that, you know, right. <laughs> what is barbecue? Who makes the best barbecue? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, whatever you like the best is the right one. You know, that's right. That is absolutely right. At the end of the day, Hey, whatever you think is good, go ahead and keep doing it and eating it and enjoying it. That's the main part. That's right. Excellent. Well, I think we're going to have a great show today. I think it's uh, we should give our guest as much time as we can. So I think it's time we bring him in today. Once again, we have with us today Certified Master Chef Joseph Lenardi. Chef, welcome to the Volrath Feed. Hi, Rich. How are you? Nice to meet you. Well, pleasure meeting you. And again, thank you for taking the time with us here today. We really appreciate it. We know you're busy, but uh, we appreciate you joining us. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. You've got a lot of, we had a lot of questions. We had a lot of things to talk about on the front end, for Great. sure. <laughs> no stump the chef, though. We we think that's what you probably get a lot of. But is that, we'll dive right into that. Is that is that an area you get a lot of with people finding out you're a certified master chef? They do. You know, a lot of people will ask, oh, you know, how do you cook this? How do you do this? How do you, you know, which obviously the biggest question is, is, you know, what do you like to cook? And what's your mm -hmm. favorite meal to cook? And things like that. But there's been some crazy, you know, questions, especially I used to travel a lot. So being on an airplane, sitting next to somebody, they, you know, they see me reading a, a food article or writing some notes on my laptop. And they're kind of like peeking over that, that question always comes up. Oh, you're a chef. And, you know, what do you like to cook? And, you know, how is it out there in the industry? And I mean, yeah. now today they would get an earful about the industry, but, you know, <laughs> it's definitely a, a great occupation to be in, in my opinion, it is. Well, it's it's one of the occupations. You you have to love what you do. Otherwise, yeah. the hours and the commitment that you give it isn't going to feel right to you if you don't love it. I mean, it's just, it'll take a lot of your time. It, it can, yep. right? That's, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a a area I think a lot of chefs are, are people that get into the industry discover and some maybe too late is is you know the the time it can take from you and the balance that you have to make sure you get in your life uh it's got to yeah. be equal yeah no for sure um i'll also add to that you need to have a good support system because if you don't have that support system it it's really difficult to do this job to do it mm -hmm. to the best of your ability you know, it is, it's, it's long hours, it's holidays, it's weekends, it's nights. I'm very fortunate to have a wife and, and family that supports me throughout this whole, throughout my whole career. And, um, you know, I think without them, uh, I, I wouldn't be where I am today for sure. Nope. No, you're right. A lot of people that come home from work and all they hear about is how long they've been gone. That's not a good system. That's not going to mm -hmm. last. No, no, for sure. Yeah, And I try to teach, you know, a lot of the, the young cooks that I have. Yeah, I, I just try to educate them. You know, believe me, I, I made a lot of mistakes throughout my career and, you know, put my career first a lot of times. And, and I learned through those mistakes. And I do try to educate the young cooks that work for me. And, you know, family's always got to come first. You know, the, the job is going to be there with or without you. And, um, and they'll figure it out. You know, they'll figure out how to get through service that night if you're not there. and but I, I do try to educate the the young cooks today, the importance of family and, and that support system. Do you feel that's changed in the last, pick a time, 10 years or five years from when you started in the industry? That willingness to give the people that personal time? I, I do. I, I mean, I don't want to say COVID kind of helped that, but I definitely think that COVID has made people realize the importance of family and being there for you know, those important people in your life. Um, I know it has for me, especially throughout my career. Even, you know, after obtaining the, the MasterChef certification, it kind of hit me a little bit to say, you know what, these people have been there for me, you know, throughout my whole career. 
And, um, you know, again, I, I go back to, you know, with, without that support system, you know, even even my my old jobs, you know, my my boss and my colleagues, I mean, it, it, the people that worked for me, you know, that's all part of that support system. It's just not your wife and family or your, or your husband and family. It's, you know, your, all your coworkers and your supervisors and all of those people. You, you got to have that relationship with them. You know, I think it's important. You know, speaking of uh, your young chefs, do you find you get a certain type of person wanting to work for you or wanting to learn from you because you're a certified master chef? Has does or is it? Do you get more or less? Or you, what? What's it? What does that look like when you have people coming to you wanting to learn? You do. Um, I mean, holding this, you know. Holding that title comes a lot of responsibility, and and I do get a lot of cooks and chefs that come to me that either are very green and have no experience at all, or they're a seasoned chef that wants to come and work with me to learn different things that that we do, or maybe there's something that you know they want to better better their craft with or or their skills, and so. So I do see that the difference in in level of people that want to come work for me. You know, I, I'm really involved in students. Um, I like trying to educate the students and teach the students and steer them in, in the right direction. Not saying that they're not being steered in the right direction, but I like to give them my advice. And because I was there, you know, I, I was a student just like them and I made good choices and I made bad choices, you know, and, um, you know, thankfully, um, I, I straightened out and, you know, was, was able to get involved with some good chefs that helped me out and put me on the right track and believed in, in me and saw something in me at that point that I didn't see, you know. Mm, kind yeah. of went off on a tangent there. No, so. no, no, we got it. We followed right along. <laughs> well, I, I, I've always considered one of the best forms of wisdom is the ability to learn from someone else's mistakes yeah. and not have to go through it yourself. Right. So, and that's that's always a, a challenging thing. And for me, uh, particularly in my younger years, I, I always seemed to be the one that had to fail to learn. <laughs> well, you know, I, it's funny you say that. Um, Justin, because I do a presentation on failing, you know, because I failed once at the biggest exam that I ever had to take. I failed at it. And, you know, so many times when somebody fails at doing something, they, they don't know how to rebound from that. And then they struggle and they think that, well, I'll never be good enough to to do that. So so why bother? And, you know, I, I do this lecture on failing and knowing that you need to fail in order to be successful and it's okay to fail sometimes. And, you know, a lot of times people just don't know how to react to that. And I went through that, you know, when, when I did took the exam in, um, I guess it was in 2014, I took it the first time I failed and I didn't know how to react. I was at the height of my, my career. I would say back then, uh, I was still on the culinary team. I went for the exam. I cooked all nine baskets. I made it through the whole exam. And the last basket was a disaster for me. And I didn't end up passing then. And I, I didn't know how to handle it. And I, I shut out my family. I shut out my coworkers. And it was tough. It was a tough few months for me. And then finally, I, I had to make a decision. And I said, listen, either... Either I'm going to rebound from this and move forward and and get to the goal that I want, which was that Master Chef certification, or I'm not, and I'm going to have to leave the career because I wouldn't be able to go to work every day knowing that I failed and I didn't give it another shot, at least, you mm. know, if that makes any sense to you. But, oh, yeah. you know, um, again, though, I go back to that support system and my coworkers back then and the, the kids that worked for me. We're, we're huge in, in pushing me to, to do it because they believed in me. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you're teaching that about failure. A, a lot of people say 
there's no such thing as a real failure as long as you learn something, all this stuff, you know, but what does that mean? How do you handle it? You know, and how do you, how do you cope with that shot to your ego <laughs> and, well, and, and the, <laughs> the crushing, you know, and you just, like you said, you reevaluate everything, your life, your existence, your purpose. Right. Oh yeah. Yep. That's uh, And what was, uh, I was reading somewhere ab- about the, the test it was something like a 27% pass rate or, or something ridiculously low. I, I, I don't know what the percentage is off the top of my head, but it is low. And it's not something that we're proud of. You know, the, the American Master Chefs, you know, and we are trying to reevaluate that. It, it's a tough test if you make it tough. And at the end of the day, it's a cooking test. We're not doing brain surgery. It's, it's a cooking test. It's an evaluation of your skills, you know. How do you cook, you know, short ribs? How do you cook, you know, whatever it might be? What's what's the best cooking application for that protein item or, you know, that that vegetable? And then you need to execute it, you know. But there's also a lot more to the exam, writing prep list or, you know, organizing your food orders and ordering the right amount of food. You know, you, you, you're making 10 dishes, three different courses. So you're, you're making 30 plates or you're making 40 plates, depending on the discipline that, that you're doing. Everything that you need to do to get to that point, and I'm trying to word this correctly, you have to organize your day. You have to work with an apprentice that you never worked with before. So you need to make sure that they're organized. You need to order all the right amount of food. You need to execute everything. You need to plate it. You need to serve it hot. You need to serve it cold. You need to make sure you have all your right china. There's a timeline. You know, you, you have to cook it in a certain amount of time. If you're not organized, it, that's when it becomes difficult. But when you think about what they're asking you, it's what I do every day. <laughs> it's really no different. I, I come to work. My day is organized. Our prep list are there. Our, all of our gather sheets are there. And then we go and execute the food. It's exactly what we do at work, except now there's a title to it or, mm-hmm. or, you know, people are watching you and judging you. But at the end of the day, it's a cooking test at the mm-hmm. highest level that you can possibly cook at. It's mm-hmm. all that it is. It's interesting, though, because um, you, you put that pressure on yourself. As you said, you, you do it 100 <laughs> times, but because now there's you want to do it to the best you can. Sometimes you put that extra pressure on yourself and it. It, it creates that extra level of mm-hmm. stress or whatever that causes you to maybe not do the things you know you can do well. Correct. You just, you just don't do it as well. Yeah. I find it interesting also that you you mentioned that, um, I don't know if you used the word or not, but I wrote down a burden or or the the level of now things that you carry. I guess when people think about people achieving certain levels in whatever they do when you get to that that level that we designate as the top it's almost like celebrity status where you think, wow, this person now is there and, <laughs> and they're just enjoying all the accolades and enjoying everyone saying you're the best or you've reached this certain level. But you you said it, there's a there's a, a bit of responsibility that comes with that. It's mentoring and, and carry, take, making sure that the, the craft, if you will, continues on and, and, and is successful with people understanding what the craft is. There is. Um, it's, it's actually more difficult now after the exam than it is prior to the exam. Um, there is that level of responsibility. You know, I have a responsibility to teach my cooks. I, and I don't, I don't want to say the right way to cook, but, you know, teach them to, to respect the, the food that they're cooking and to respect the craft that, that we're in and the career decision that we've made. Um, you know, there are a lot of frustrating days here at the club and you know, stressful days, you know, holiday seasons and, you know, so-and-so called out and this one's sick and this one cut themselves. And, you know, it, it does put a strain on us, but it's, it's my responsibility to keep them focused and keep them motivated and pushing them forward to their goals. You know, everyone has different goals. And you know what, if I have a cook that works for me, that is happy doing breakfast foods and they want to run the best diner out there and it's it's eggs and pancakes and french toast then you know what i'm happy for them not everybody's going to want to be a master chef and you know not everybody's going to want to be at that level but if they leave me and they're happy and they learned then i did my job 
And mm. that's that's the way how I look at it. You know, not everybody's going to be at that level. Not everybody wants to compete. Not everybody wants to, you know, be judged and, and critiqued by others. But they have a passion for the industry and what they do. And and to me, that's that's most important, you know, that I keep adding fuel to that fire for them. Cultivating that drive for the passion, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you network with chefs? Is there a, a, a regular meetings or do you do you once you achieve this level um what do you do you guys do anything together at, at any point or is it all kind of just uh you achieve this yeah, is it like a yearly barbecue you all come <laughs> and hang out you make t-shirts and <laughs> have beers and <laughs> talk about <laughs> cmc stuff <laughs> we do we do we um oh you we, do <laughs> yeah, we do yeah we're like a bunch of kids sometimes but no, we do get together uh, formally once a year um, out at the Broadmoor in Colorado. Oh, one of our I master love the Broadmoor. Chefs. Yeah, it's beautiful out oh. there. One of um, our chefs is the vice president of culinary out there. So the Broadmoor hosted for us. We get out there. We do talk about the exam and um, new culinary trends that are going on and our involvement with the federation, the, you know, the, the culinary federation. Anytime that there's conferences and seminars that take place, we're there to support if one of us are presenting, you know, we're always there to support them and, and help them out if they need something prepped or um, help with their presentation. There, There is that, I don't want to say brotherhood, but there is that connection with with all of us to make sure that we continue to push each other to be successful and present at the highest level that we possibly can. and. Yeah, we 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 all are all like a bunch of kids sometimes when we are <laughs> when we do get together and you know what it is we we love food we we love good wine and you know it like I said before it just brings everybody together and and everybody's mm. happy you know we we're, we're not talking about food cost and you know who just quit on us you know we we're, we're talking about the food and the wine and the marriage that that's there between the two and it's great. It it really is. So, uh, and it's got to be something special to be able to talk on a level that most people probably couldn't connect with you on. Yeah, you know, you've got this is. camaraderie and and people who get it, people who get where you're at as a yep. chef. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, it is. I'm, I I would still like to think I'm I'm pretty young. However, some of my cooks tell me differently. But you know, <laughs> to to listen to some of the older master chefs there and their experiences and the way how they view food versus the way how the younger generation views food today. I, I, I like listening to those conversations, you know, it's, it's educational for me, the way how food was prepared back when they were in the kitchen versus the way how we're, you know, preparing food today. Do you have any um, people you've mentored that you sit back at the end of the day and, and think, Boy, that was, I'm really proud of this mentorship or this individual and the, maybe from where they started to where they left you and to where they've gotten now. Do you have some people that leave that mark on you? I do. Um, I, I have a group of boys. I call them my boys because they were real instrumental in my career. And um, they worked for me at the Somerset Club in Boston. And it was Michael and Jesus and Gio and Tony and you know, they were, they, they were, they were hungry back then. And we all were. And, um, the four of them built a relationship amongst themselves and all four of them are doing wonderful right now. Two of them are executive chefs at, at clubs. One of them is the, Tony is my chef de cuisine here at this club. And Jesus is a sous chef down in uh, Virginia, uh, at another club. So, I mean, all four of them are doing well. And, um, yeah, I, I, I have a lot of respect. I have a lot of respect for all four of them. All, hmm. all good guys. So chef, another thing we always like to find out, were you one of the kids growing up that always knew you wanted to be a chef or were you one of those people that needed a job one day, someone hired a sign on the door, dishwashers needed, and you, <laughs> you went to be a dishwasher and you just kind of got your progression from there. How did you find interest in this career? Yeah, I, I, I did. I was washing dishes in a bakery, to be <laughs> honest with you. And um, 
you know, I liked it. I, I liked the, the benefits of working at a bakery. You know, you got to try all different things. And um, I, I took a liking to it. I was watching the, the pastry chefs and the, the bread bakers, you know, make this product and then give it to customers. And, you know, I would see reactions from their faces that they were so happy, you know, getting this, you know, it could have been a donut. It could have been a bagel. It could have been anything. But there was something there, and I didn't quite know what it was. And throughout my career, I got promoted, and I started, you know, making breads there. And I would make some pastries, and I did take a liking to it. But the the key for me was when I made something, and it was I was baking breads overnight and the overnight shift. And you would go outside the bakery, and you can smell the aroma coming from the bakery. And I lived in a small town. The church bells would go off and it was like a herd of cattle coming down to the bakery. (laughs) And they would come inside the bakery and giving them the bread that I baked and seeing their reactions, it it kind of like touched me a little bit. And knowing that at dinner time, that bread was helping bringing families together. That's what made me want to get into the industry. I can't hang a, a, a door straight. I can't hang molding or any of that. I can't do any of that stuff. Cooking is all I know. So at that point, I was young. I was probably only 17 years old at the time. Um, I went to vocational school for culinary. Had an awesome instructor back then, Mr. Simon. And um, it, it, he, you know, he kind of pushed me. And saw something in me, and I and I had that love for food back then, and it's it's really never stopped. That makes me think because I've read that uh, for somebody to want to take that next level step to become a a certified master chef, you got to be a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh. <laughs> say that again. <laughs> yeah. So, so this drive it just never stopped for you. Um, so once you made that decision to take this, do you feel like you've kind of silenced the, not silenced, but you, yeah. you th- feel like you've accomplished what you needed to. And and if so, where's the continuing drive now? Yeah, that's a good, it's, that's a tough question because you hit the nail right on the head there. You know, I've worked my whole career and I would say, um, it, it it came to a point where I made that decision that one day I'm going to go for this master chef exam. And the day that I obtained it, I asked myself the same question. What's next? Where do I go from here? And, you know, it, you do go through a point in your career after you obtain it. What is next for me? You know, is there anything that I can do? And I was soul searching for a while. You know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then I realized what my responsibility was. And that was working with individuals to get that drive, to get them to have that drive that I had, regardless of the level that they want to get to. And, you know, mentoring them and working with them and teaching them the ropes and not not sugarcoating anything, you know, it. So many times, you know, you'll you'll watch the Food Network and, and, you know, or a show on TV about chefs and food. And, you know, there's there's some sugar coating that goes on there. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not like that. You know, anybody that knows me and that has worked for me, they know I'm pretty black and white. And I'll tell you the way how it is and what the expectations are and if you want to get to a certain level, then this is what people are going to expect. So for me, after I obtained it, yeah, I, I had to do some soul searching, but I did realize that I had new responsibilities in, in my career that I needed to do. And I mm-hmm. took up beekeeping as well. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes. Well, well, there's definitely no peak on beekeeping. I mean, that's a challenge from now till forever. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it is. It is for sure. And, um, you know, something that started off as a hobby has now turned into a, um, I don't want to say a full scale operation, but definitely um, has grown over the past few years. So, you know, but it's something that I enjoy. It's a uh, scapegoat for me. And, um, you know, it's great for the environment as well. So 
right? Chef, I know I want to get into beekeeping with you, but we were just talking about something and I, and I had a thought that you've talked a lot about how much you enjoy and the responsibility you feel for mentoring others and, you know, getting other people to have that passion and the drive. And you're in a country club now. Do you ever think about the education side? Is that ever a thought that you you think about getting into? Yeah. Um, I So I did teach, Rich, uh, way back a long time ago. I did teach and I enjoyed working with the students, but I think I was too young at the time and I didn't have the experience that I have today to share with them. So I made that decision back then to leave the education field and, and go out to industry. The problem today for me to go back to the education is I love to cook. And I don't know yeah. if that's a bad thing or or a good thing, but it's a good thing. I enjoy, you know, if we're slammed at night, I enjoy jumping behind the line and supporting the cooks. And, you know, if we're putting up a banquet for 300 people, I, there's nothing better than than watching that line execute the food and put it out. It's like, a, you know, I, I always tell the guys if they're breaking down fish, you know, do you ever see a good person when they play the piano, how they go up and down those keys. And that's what it's like watching a, a brigade in the kitchen when they're when they're plating food or they're filleting fish and there's there's excitement there and there's nothing like it, you know. And for me, I still get a thrill off that. And I'm mm-hmm. afraid to go back to education right now because I'm afraid I'm gonna be missing it too much. Mm. But don't, you know, it's definitely in my blood. Because you're, you're right, I I enjoy working with individuals and teaching them and and mentoring them and guiding them, um, you know, throughout their careers. So who knows? You know, you, you never know what the future holds and where I might be in the next few years. But you know, right now, um, I, you know, I I love what I do. So, well, which which makes it easy for me to come here every day because. I have a great team in the kitchen right now, and they're they're young, they're hungry, and and those kids want to learn, and um, it, it makes my job much easier, you know, being involved with them like that. So, well, it sounds like you have the best of both worlds there, and I've I've always been like a firm believer that the most important learning happens on the on job on site. You yeah. know, that's the stuff that you sticks and re- that you remember is stuff that you learn while you're actually doing the job. Sure. So you, you have the, the opportunity to teach and then to just still practice your craft. So yep. with, with uh, COVID and the labor situation get coming from COVID, you mentioned uh, kids in the kitchen. Is it, uh, are you seeing a lot of younger people that are, are getting into the industry? Are you getting more people that are, that are green that are just saying, I want to get into it or. I would say, um, like everyone else in the country, we're suffering just as as bad as most. Um, I would say recently we've seen an uptick in people that have an interest in the culinary industry that, that want to be here. A lot of green individuals that are making career changes. But I would say for the most part, I'm seeing a, a mix. You know, I'm, I'm seeing some students that are in colleges that are graduated or doing internships that want to come here and see what a country club is all about. I'm having older individuals that are coming here that are doing a career change that want to take a hobby and and kind of go to the next level. And then I still have those young individuals that are, are hungry and they want to be an executive chef of, of either a restaurant or a club or a hotel. And you know, they want to spend a few years with me and learn and grow and, and then move on. So for me, I, I I think we're kind of fortunate that we're seeing this uptick. And I hope it continues for all of us that are in it right now, I would say. Yeah. I think we covered uh, earlier that um, there are there are amount of people, I'm sure, that are wanting to come work for you. What is your tenure like as far as do, do you see people coming in and, and sticking around or do you see people kind of coming in, getting that experience and then moving on. Yeah, I I think the important thing for me is when we hire individuals to kind of to kind of feel them out a little bit and say what is I always meet with them. So they'll 
they'll meet with the chef and they'll meet with, you know, if they're going to do a la carte, then they'll meet with the a la carte chefs or banquet chefs and vice versa. But they'll always meet with me at the end. And, you know, we talk about their goals and what they want. And to be honest, if somebody says, look, you know, I only want to be here for a year or two. I want to learn whatever I can. And then I want to move on and I want to move on to one of your peers. Fine. Great. You know, I think you're young and I don't have an issue with that. We also have the ones that that do want to stay. And I would say I, most people that work for me are here for about five years, if not longer. You know, um, my pastry chef, she was with me for 15 years. Um, you know, Tony, who's my chef de cuisine right now, he's got to be with me for every bit of 10 years. And Jesus, you know, he worked for me probably eight years as well. You know, so I would say my longevity, there's... There are individuals that stay with me for a long period of time. Not everybody, but the I would say I guess the the ones that are crazy stay with me for a long time. <laughs> so and a little you know, bit of that's good. It is <laughs> a little bit of it crazy is. is good. Yeah. You know, Chef, do you have? Uh, sometimes people will ask, like, what is one thing that you can give to a piece of advice to anybody listening, anybody at all, be it your home cooks. Uh, all the way to executive chefs or other master chefs. Mm-hmm. And what, is there any one thing that you might give them as a piece of advice to help people elevate their 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 success while cooking? Hmm. Let me think about this one for a minute. <laughs> yeah. like I always tell people, especially home chefs, uh, get your, your place set, right? Get everything set, your ingredients ready. Because if you have to even just go to the cupboard where you think this thing is, that's mm-hmm. been there all the time. The one day you're working and you need it and you go there and it's not in its place and it takes you two seconds longer to find it. You come back and who knows what happened on the stove, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, the other thing too is um, quality products. Mm. You know, um, I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, a lot of times I see it with my wife too, you know, she's scrambling, running around and it's a disaster sometimes when she's cooking. She's a great cook. Don't get me wrong. But you know, if she's making, chicken cutlets the egg wash is over here the flowers on the other side of the kitchen she's running back and forth then the oil's on fire almost you know so setting yourself up and having you know we call it mise en place as you know but you Mm -hmm. know setting yourself up and having all of your ingredients lined up and ready to go and then you go off and cook will will help tremendously but the other thing is Cook with with quality ingredients too. You know, don't um, don't take shortcuts with with your ingredients. You know, you if you buy poor quality, then you're going to end up with poor quality food. If you buy quality products, then you know you you're already a step in the right direction to have good food. I, I love the saying when people say, "Oh, we'll just get this wine." You know, this is a box wine. You guys can cook with that box wine. And I'll always ask the beverage manager, well, would you drink that wine? And hell no, chef, I ain't drinking that stuff. Well, then why should I cook with it? Yeah. You know, if, if you wouldn't drink it, then I'm not saying let's open up a $100 bottle of, of Bordeaux or something along those lines. But, you know, if you wouldn't drink that wine, then then why am I going to cook with it? You know, exactly. so, you know, I, I'm a big component of, you know, fresh local ingredients um, and, and quality. So, you know, know, know where your food, especially today, know where your food is coming from. Right. And I, I I suppose that know where your food is coming in is, is helped you, uh, get into the, your, your hobby of beekeeping, right? That's, uh, (laughs) yeah, I, I definitely enjoy that. And, um, people definitely want local raw honey. mm -hmm. You know, it's, I, I believe in the whole allergy myth there and, you know, if, if you consume, you know, local honey in your area, it'll definitely help you with your allergies and, you know, um, and, and definitely support those local businesses in the area. I, I think that's important, especially especially in today's world. Yeah. yeah. Well, honey is one of those things, though, that if you grew up eating the garbage and the little bear, you know, that just <laughs> and then you actually have real honey, uh, there's, there's no going back. There isn't, oh, okay. there isn't. And, um, you know, good quality, local raw honey, you can taste it. You know, you're getting, you know, there's the pollen in there from all the different flowers that those bees are collecting. And 
could be from the oak trees or it can be from the clover in the ground, dandelions, whatever it might be. You're taking small bits of that every day and your body will, will build a, a resistance towards it, I guess, mm-hmm. and, um, and help you with the allergies. You know, all my kids take it. Well, and that's one of the things I, my wife and I like to do is whenever we travel, we like to find the honey of the area because that's, to me, it's really like tasting the land. That's what, that's what this geographical space tastes like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's the the flavor difference, especially when you set them up side by side. You're like, wow, this is incredibly different. This one's a little bit more grassy taste, and this one's yep. way more floral. It's it's yeah. Fascinating. You 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 would be surprised. I can have beehives that are right next to each other, and one will give me a, a dark amber color that I know is clover. So you got that spicy notes to it. You'll have those spicy peppery notes to it. And then there'll be a hive right next to it that's really light in color, that's floral. And it's amazing where the bees go to to source that nectar um, during that flow. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, I liked what you said, that a tasting of the land is, I'm going to steal that quote from you just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you. It was a good one. It, it was, was good, Justin. <laughs> I, I raised, uh, I tried to raise bees as well. I don't have the success. And you, I mean... It's more than just a couple of hives. You have 40 hives, you said, right? That's that's quite a bit. Yeah, you know, it's definitely um it 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 definitely has turned into a, a an operation where I'm sourcing people to help me with it. Uh, my wife is is heavily involved in it with the marketing and the selling of all the products and you know, the involvement with you know, the local laws and the and selling it wholesale and at the farmers markets and things like that. So it's it's definitely, you know, it started off as and and I'm being completely honest here, it started off as I I came to the club and there were two hives here and nobody knew how to take care of them. And back then there was no way I was going near the bees. You know, I, I wanted no part of it. I was like, absolutely not. And the bees absconded, they left the the hive and we removed the beehive. So I just happened to say, hey, can I take this stuff home? And I was curious about it and just really wanted to check it out. And when I got it, first off, I couldn't even lift the hives. They were well over 100 pounds each. And when I took them home and I opened the hives up, and I call it liquid gold now, it, it blew my mind how the bees were able to make that honey. And I needed to know how they did it. So I did a lot of research and um, understood the way, you know, how the bees go out and get the nectar and bring it back and, you know, fan it and, and you know, dehydrate that nectar into the honey to the right consistency. And I was really fascinated by it. And I did the whole YouTube beekeeper for about <laughs> a year. And yeah, during the summer months, it was great. But once winter came, it was a disaster. And it's not cheap. So I, I made a commitment and I and I did go to school for it and I took a class and I committed to it. And, you know, I went from two beehives to today where we just about have 40 beehives. And, mm. you know, it's it's great. I, I wouldn't change it at all. It's just gone to us. It's grown to a scale where now it's it's a full time operation. So, yeah. yeah, it's 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 great. It is great. Well, and you're. You're not just doing honey, though. Uh, tell us some of the other things that, that uh, you're doing with your honey. Yeah, so it's nice being a chef because we take the honey and we infuse it with a lot of different flavors. So, you know, we'll take, um, you know, we'll, we'll take honey and dry, you know, several different types of dried chilies and we'll make a, a hot honey. Or we'll take um, different types of cinnamon, whether it's like a Mexican cinnamon and you know, we'll take the sticks and we roast them and then we will um, age the honey with the cinnamon in it and then, you know, market it and sell it or creamed honey. And, you know, so there's there's a lot of techniques that we use. We we don't apply any heat to the honey when we do infuse it to help keep those natural benefits of, of eating raw honey. But being a chef, chef kind of helps me with that because I know some tricks to the trade and where to sauce some good ingredients and and be able then to infuse our honeys and also being a chef i can teach people how to cook with it as well so which you know 
which is another big question that I get asked, you know, what do I do with this stuff other than putting it in my tea? So <laughs> can anyone be a beekeeper and should they? I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, during COVID, you know, you, you saw the boom in <laughs> raising chickens and right, beekeeping, right. Mm-hmm. you know, and there's this theory that people have that, oh, I'm going to go get bees. I put them in a box and, you know, four months later, I'm going to come back and there's going to be honey in there. That is so not the case at all. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience. It's it's definitely costly. It's not cheap to do that. One hive alone, just for the equipment, is probably $400. Plus the bees are another $150 to $200. You know, so before you know it, then you need all your gear and tools. You're talking about a thousand bucks for a beehive at the end of the day. And then once you get the bees into the hive, well, now I need to maintain them. You're sticking bees into a beehive. They need to be fed because they, they need the sugar and the carbohydrate from the sugar in order to build their foundations. Because without foundations, there's no place for the queen to lay eggs or for, them, uh, for a place for them to store the honey you know, or, or the nectar. So if you have a lot of time and patience and you want to learn, yeah, you can do it. If you want to be a good person and put a beehive on your property and let somebody else maintain it, I think that's good too. It really comes down to time at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. You know, if I don't schedule my days to do like my hive inspections, I would never get them done. I would never, it's, it would be impossible. Impossible. If you have time, yeah, you can do it, but there's, there's a lot more work to it than what the average person thinks. Yeah, that is generally the case with, with most things we see on YouTube. Right, right. <laughs> you see a video, like, oh, I could do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not uncommon that I'll get a phone call and say, oh, you know, my bees left. Why? And I'll go over and inspect their hive, and there's, there's no food in the hive. Well, of course they're going to leave, or they didn't treat it for uh, mites or, you know, anything like that. Or it, there's, there's just so much to beekeeping it's it's a lot more than what people think like you know like what you said and yeah, we talked a little bit earlier about it and i've had success first year doing like you said to put the bees in the box you walk away you come back four months later and wow i had all this honey and then the next year when things weren't quite going right it, it's rec- it's spending that time to watch what's happening in the hive and make those corrections if you need mm-hmm. to treat the treat for the beetles or treat for the um, uh, mites, yep. and make sure that the hive is healthy because all of a sudden they don't like what's going on, the way they go or they die. That's right. That's yeah. right. Or mm-hmm. they're going to uh, swarm. Right. You know, and being able to see the behavior of the bees before they start preparing to swarm is is huge. I, yes. I love the phone call of I have bees that are in my tree, they all left my hive. Well, of course they did because the hive is packed with honey because you didn't set it up correctly. You know, there's, there's no place for the queen to go. So yeah, naturally she's going to leave. Yeah. Um, are you one of those guys who wears all the gear or <laughs> yeah. have, you be, have you become a badass and you're just out there, bare skin, bare face, no you know? No, no, let me tell you something, Justin, I've been stung in the face and in the ear. It oh, is. I hate being stung, and oh. um, anytime I do something foolish is when I get stung. And I'll tell you, I was over here one day at work, and we had hives here at the club, and um, I just needed to get out of the kitchen for a little bit. So I said, I'm going to go over to the beehives. Of course, I didn't have anything with me, so I just peeked inside, and I just wanted to see what was going on. But one of them buggers came out and stung me right underneath my eye. Oh. I went back to the kitchen afterwards about 45 minutes later. It looked like I got into a fight with somebody. My <laughs> eye had doubled in size. It was black and blue. And it, it's whenever you do something foolish like that is when is when I get stung. But there's no way I will always <laughs> wear, wear a veil over my face. I hate being stung. Yeah. Yeah. So you have uh, that large localized reaction then from a bee sting. I do. I do. Ah, and okay. I carry an EpiPen with me because you know what? 
there's a lot of times I'm on these 10 acre farms out in the middle of nowhere and it's just me. And, and you never know, you know, you, you, you just mm-hmm. don't know if you're going to have that reaction. So mm-hmm. I, I always carry an EpiPen with me. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Cause I have that reaction now as well. I have a long story too long to tell now, but, um, uh, from my days, I, I never used to have that reaction. And then on a bad decision, <laughs> From another person, I'm going to blame. But anyway, um, I, I now have that reaction and uh, I get that problem. But, um, oh, yeah. you know, Chef, I know we're getting a little long here and I want to make sure we cover. Uh, I know another part of what you enjoyed doing is uh, competition cooking, right? Mm-hmm. Now that The Olympics, you had a culinary team in the Olympics. And tell us a little bit about that side of, of cooking culinary. Oh, yeah. I, I think competing is a great educational tool um for anybody it really puts people in a situation it's a different type of pressure uh and, you know when when you have a good cook that can cook on the line and they're solo and they're able to read the tickets and go out and and produce those meals that's great when you have a cook that can go out and compete they're solo no support staff there they need to make sure that their time management is there, their organization is there. And then being able to have somebody critique you while you're doing this, I am a, a firm believer of competing. I, I think it's a great tool for individuals to do. Um, I started competing. It had to be back when I was a student at Johnson & Wales. I was on their culinary team and a couple of individuals there, Chef Opalenik and Chef Duffy, saw something in me. They wanted me to try out for the Olympic team, and the rest is history after that. 2000, I think it was 2005, I tried out for the Olympic team. I made the team and uh, worked my way through all the ranks. I was an apprentice. I was a member of the team. I was a captain. And then, you know, like what you just said, I had my own two national teams during my last tenure, which was uh, 2014 to 2016. Yeah, it was a great experience throughout my career. I loved it. Mm. Those, those individuals on the team were like family members to me. There was a lot of laughs. There was a lot of crying. There's a lot of great memories there. It's, it's highly recommended. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. The whole competition cooking outside of television shows, I didn't really know was a thing. That seems like something that should be just as much a part of a high school experience as football or basketball, you know, there should be competing. You know, yeah. um, when we say that we, you know, cooked at the culinary Olympics, a lot of people will say, Oh, you cooked for those sports, you know, the, all the sports <laughs> teams over there. And, um, you know, I, I have to pull what I'm going to, what I want to say in and just say, no, we were actually there. And, you know, it's held in Germany every four years we cooked and, earned you know whatever medal we earned but it's it's a real thing let me tell you it's it's definitely a a real thing you cook three courses at the olympics in the world cup you cook three courses 110 portion portions and i think it's six hours you have uh to prepare it all so it's definitely a rush for sure makes you a better chef in your day-to-day you think Going oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know what it is? It puts you at ease when you're behind, like you'll, and I see it with my cooks now, you know, there'll be like a party for 20 and, you know, we, we didn't set things up right. And where, you know, they feel like they're behind the eight ball, but I just remind them, look, it's a party of 20, prepare only what you need to, you know, if it's a party of 20, don't be cooking for 40, cook for 25, because that's all the food that you need. And the more food that you prepare, the longer it's going to take. And I think that's a, a, a big learning lesson that you get out of competing. You know, you, you cook the food that you need to cook, you cook it right, and you move on and serve it. Mm. The overarching theme that I'm really getting from you, Chef, is lifetime education is just kind of at the forefront of what you're all about. So what's the next culinary hill that you'd like to <laughs> to climb as far as like something that maybe you haven't had a lot of time to to become an expert in. Is there anything like that in the food world that, that you're looking at tackling? I, there is. You know, I, I think the next step for me is it's two things. I would 
I would love to open my own place. And I, I, I say that with a, a little reservation, but <laughs> you know, I love, I love the reaction when I put something down in front of somebody and the oohs and the odds and the, oh my God, you know, how did you make this? And anybody get, would, would get high off that, you know, that's just a natural high that, that we get. I would love to open up some type of a marketplace where people could come in and buy my products. And, you know, it's just a small little tasting room and a place where people can come in and hold a small venue and see the gardens and the farms out back. And that's something that, you know, I can see myself doing in the, in the future. Yeah. And what, what you're talking about, that is the places that a lot of people are really going towards, you know, leaning yep. towards as far as like having that, uh, I mean, you already got the bees going on. So that's, that's, that I'm sure would be a, a big component. What you, what you sure. have. And I would like to see this. So it, when, when this happens, you know, Rich and I, we will, <laughs> we will be some of your first customers there. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. A follow-up, natural follow-up question. Is your honey for sale online? It is. Our, um, we have a website. It's allthingshoneyandmore.com. You can go there. We ship you know, countrywide, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> All right. I'm actually going there now, and I'm going to put in an order. <laughs> <laughs> As we're talking. <laughs> As we're talking. <laughs> Chef, are you still doing your uh, – you had at some point a um, consulting in, uh, business, didn't you? Are you still doing some of that? I do. Um, I, don't, I haven't really been in – I, I haven't been hustling it as much uh, since COVID. And I don't know if hustling is the right word I, I should use. I mean, I, I haven't um, haven't really been pushing it that much. Um, my focus right now is the club and the individuals here to make sure that they stay focused and we make sure that the club is successful. I mean, we have the U.S. Open coming here in a couple of months and that's my my focus right now. Um, you know, not so well, much. Gotta the, be a zoo. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's great. It's been a great learning experience for me and for others that are you know have been involved. But I do do some consulting on the side and and work with individuals and trainings and um, you know recipe development and and menu writing for for individuals. Mm-hmm. I, again, I I go back to that whole training and and educating you know i i i thrive on that i enjoy that so it just hasn't been as busy that's more me than anything else right now my my priorities are are at the club and and the the kids that are working for me so i'm going to ask you something that i i think um you know with your experience number of years you've been doing this and the the business uh, the consulting business at one point and um, when you go out to eat, is is it hard sometimes <laughs> to just sit there and, and look around and go, well, you know, what I like to do is I just look at them, I kind of shrug my shoulders. I think that's what they do and that's the way they're going to do it. So leave them be. But it, sometimes it's it's hard. You know what? I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I am so thankful that I'm sitting at the table and eating yeah. and not the person in that kitchen cooking. <laughs> yeah. I won't pass judgment on anything yeah. because I know what goes on back there. Yeah. You know, and um, no, at the end of the day, if I'm able to go out and, and have a dinner somewhere, I, I'm just thankful that I'm able to do that. And right. I don't say if it's overcooked or undercooked or anything like that. I'm. It's a good day if I'm out there yep. sitting down, having a glass of wine yeah. and, and enjoying a dinner. So. Sure, sure. I mean, it, it's a different experience when you're when you're there trying to be critical, or if you're just there trying to be relaxed, right? And correct. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If they want to the critique, I'll give you the critique. But you know, <laughs> if I'm out with my wife or friends, I I don't pass judgment. Oh, I'm with you. No, no. Yep. Enjoy the experience. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Well. Chef, I thank you. We we've used up uh, more than we planned a day on time with you. It's just been a, a pleasure, it really has been. Um, thanks for for chatting with us today. Very cool insight into uh, what you do, and and um, chefs are always fun to talk to. So we we appreciate your time. I, and I know that throughout your career, uh, especially with chefs, we, we love chefs on the show. You've heard things, or there's a mantra that you follow, or there's a, a quote that's inspired you along the way. Do you have something like that you could share with our listeners today? I do. Um, you know, 
I wouldn't say it's so much a quote. It's just something that uh, I believe in. And regardless of the mindset that you're in or, or you know, what has just happened, you know, you, you're going to come to the end of the road at one point in your career. And you got to make a decision. You're either going to go left or you're going to go right. Because if you continue forward, it's a dead end. And whatever decision you decide, if you go left or you go right, stand behind it and embrace it and enjoy that new journey that you're going to take on. Because too many times we, we come to the end of the road and we stop. And that's when the learning stops and that's when the drive stops and the passion. You, you got to make that choice in which decision or, or what direction you're going to go. And once you do, stand behind it and embrace it and move forward. You know, don't dwell on the past because you can't fix the past. Dwell on tomorrow and focus on tomorrow and today because that's what you have the control over. Very well mm -hmm. said. Good thoughts. Uh, and, and you're right that focusing on the past is there's just no time to waste that energy. It really isn't. Nope. Nope. You can't change mm -hmm. it. That's right. You can't change it. That's so. Right. Well, hey, guys, I just want to interject here and say that uh, I just ordered the honey sampler pack. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, nice I'll be sure to Cool. I'll be sure to share that with you, Nate and Rich. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm, you've helped me get back into it. I took a year off here because I, I wanted to move my hive to a new spot, and I did, and I think it's a better spot. I was going to give it a chance. This Good. last summer, but I'm going to get back into it next year. So awesome, awesome. Well, let me know yeah. if you need any help or I, advice. I sure so. will do that. Thank you so much awesome. again. Thank you. I appreciate everything, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank it's been you. A pleasure meeting you. Same here. Hey, Justin. Well, a lot of fun. Joe's a great guy. I, oh, I talked to him for several hours. Uh, yeah, we, we certainly got to, got to bring him back because there's so much more that, that needs to be talked about. I, yeah. I feel like we danced around a lot of the, the certified master chef stuff, but, uh, we didn't really go too in depth and I'm okay. I'm, I'm actually glad because you know, I feel like we got to know more about who he is and what makes mm -hmm. him tick. And, and, uh, I, uh, there's a lot of pearls of wisdom that, that were dropped throughout that conversation. Yeah, true. All right. Well, we did have a lot of topics that we talked about and a lot of really cool stuff. And when you and I are uh, talking with a chef, it's just a fun time to let yourself get into those conversations with him. So I'm so glad that we have our friend Nate with us and it's time for Nate to bring it home in his recap. And Nate, please take it away. Well, thanks. Thanks, Rich. I, I need to just say thank you to you and Justin for the nice little buildup you gave me in the intro. So it's appreciated. <laughs> but I, I, I love doing this part. I love being able to sit in on these conversations. And this one, this one just flew by. And, and it's, it's one of those where time went so fast. We learned so much. And I, I just, like you said, we could have done this for hours. I, I will say this. I was not expecting this conversation to be so much about life as it was, but I appreciated that. I enjoyed that fact. So many of the things from dealing with failure to the importance of being organized to thinking big picture, a lot of that stuff that uh, Chef talked about, it just, it applies across the board to so many different things in life. And it's part of the reason that he is successful. To me, he is a certified master chef because of who he is. He's not who he is because he's a certified master chef. And I, having that sense of self while still being able to be so successful and to to have that perspective and to be able to handle failure, but to be able to have confidence in what you do and belief in what you do and not get, but also to not get too lost in what you're doing at any given point. That is just such a, a unique combination of skill sets and thought processes. And it's really fun to talk to someone who has that level of perspective. There, there is so much wisdom that we got today. And I just, I will never turn down free wisdom from anyone, especially someone who has achieved the success that Chef Joseph has, but then also um, has the level of experience that he has, that has seen the things he has seen, that is who has done the things he's done. Um, I will take that caliber of advice from someone of this caliber anytime. Yep, very good. True that, true that. Well, as always, thanks, Nate. Uh, great way to sum it all up. Justin, any closing thought from you today? Yes, sir. I would like to remind everyone to please hit that subscribe button so that you 
Never miss another moment with a chef or certified master chef or other food service industry professional again. And while you're at it, if you would like to take the time to just let your friends and family know what we got going on here and and you think it would be of value to them. Very good. Well said. And you can let us know anything at all about our show if you reach out to us at ballrathfoodservice.com slash the feed. And as I sign off every show in the last year, if you did everything as if a customer was watching you, you'd know you'd be doing it right. Nice little quote there from my father once again. And everybody, thanks again for listening. Have a great week ahead. Until next time, take care.